Welcome back to Star Wars Escape Pod. I'm your host, Josh, and we have another episode of Rebels Talk for you today. And uh, the beauty of Rebels Talk is that we go way back, starting from the beginning and going all the way through the series, leading you to Ahsoka. And we're doing it in clusters of three or four Rebels episodes at a time. So make sure you check the description of every podcast episode before you start the play button. And that way you know which episodes of Rebels that we've seen today that we're talking about. So let's get into Rebels Talk Part 13, the next set of episodes, episodes 7, 8, 9, and 10 with your co-host Blake. Let's do it. Oh man, here's the song. Welcome back, sir. Oh yeah, yeah, you're super echoey too. You know, let me let me just try something here. Okay, hold on. How's that? Oh, that's way better. Now I can actually hear what's happening. Oh, there, there we go. There we go. <laughs> you know, it's so. It's so it's output, output or something. It's early in the morning and I didn't even plug it in. Like. <laughs> Yeah, that would do it. Oh my god! It's gosh. still recorded though. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Everyone still heard you over the loudspeakers, I think. Okay, <laughs> I think. I like the demo version. Where you're like you're sending it into the studio, like, hey, you should fund us. <laughs> it sounds like super tinny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty rough, and plus you're tired because it's early in the morning. So, <laughs> top of that, just uh, all your, just no sound except for. Yeah, so we're gonna do a podcast today. Oh yeah! So welcome back to Star Wars Escape Pod, and uh, you know this is us at five in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, it's not that early. No, no, yeah. All right. Well, um, you know we do have a variety of of things to get into today. Uh, the next set of season three episodes. Uh, but before we do, is there anything real quick? Any any of these that really stuck out to you while I pull up the web page for all these rebels recons one that really stood out to me well i think there's a little bit to each episode uh but i would say across these four probably similar to the last podcast we did where there's nothing like 
super crazy. Rebels, I would say like this season is probably a step up from last season, which is a step up from the pre- previous season. But it does because it it was still on that television kind of uh, series network setup where it had a lot of filler episodes. We don't really stop doing that. I think till we get to the Disney Plus stuff, where there are eight episodes or so. Yeah, yeah. But even then, people argue like Mando season two spider episode was that really necessary? Right. <laughs> so many spider fillers. Um, okay, cool. Well, um, yeah, let's uh, take a look at this one here. Uh, season three, episode ten, an inside man. Uh, this was directed by Stuart Lee, written by Nicole Dubuque. Hold on, episode 10? Sorry. Wait. No, yeah, you're right. Thank you. Episode 7. <laughs> I'm like, I guess at the end. Episode 7, Imperial Super Commando, directed by Stuart Lee, written by Christopher Yost, uh, released November 5th, 2016 on Disney XD. Guest stars Kevin McKidd, Ray Stevenson, and uh, this is Rebels Recon. Let's take a listen. What's up, Rebels fans? Andy Gutierrez coming at you from Lucasfilm headquarters in my normal, everyday work clothes. This week, Sabine got her hands on a coveted piece of Mandalorian gear in Imperial Super Commandos, and now I'm here to take you behind the scenes. This is Rebels Recon. Ezra, Sabine, and Fenrau head to Concord Dawn to investigate a downed communication system, but discover the base was destroyed by Mandalorians working for the Empire. Stay alert. They're around here somewhere. However, when Ezra is captured by Gar Saxon, Fenn and Sabine must work together to save him. What took you so long? I was using strategy. It takes longer. Following the successful rescue, Fenn abandons the group, leaving them to fend for themselves, but only to have a change of heart in the end. You haven't forgotten always. That has earned my respect. This week, Sabine and Fenrau had to work together to escape from Mandalorians working for the Empire. I sat down with cast and crew to talk about Sabine's encounter with her Mandalorian past, the design behind Gar Saxon and the Imperial Super Commandos, and what it means for the Rebellion now that Fenrau's on their side. Check it out. Ezra experiences a bit of Mandalorian culture in Imperial Super Commandos. How do you think this affects his relationship with Sabine? There's a whole new respect for Sabine, and Sabine becomes a real force in season three. The whole crew realizes that Sabine can really help out in more ways than one. Sabine is starting to lean into her Mandalorian legacy. How has her relationship with Fen Rao helped that along? Fen is there to be this constant reminder of where she came from. Earlier in the series, she was pretty much the only Mandalorian element in the show. Sabine is such an individual that it's easy to imagine her turning her back on her roots. Fen is more of a traditionalist and that challenges her. It's this constant reminder of what it is that she left. He's probably the closest thing she has to her true family. He does represent home and she's drawn to that and she's been away from home for a long time so it just makes sense that she would seek out one of her own people to try to reconnect. The super commandos seen in this episode are serving the Empire. What has the Empire brought to Mandalore that has gotten this group to side with them? Stability for one thing. I mean we've been thinking a lot about about Mandalore as the series progresses and we start peeling back some layers in Sabine's history. To get there, we started extrapolating, well, what does it mean to have an empire on Mandalore? And how do you keep a planet that went through such a chaotic civil
civil war during the Clone Wars in order. But it seems that obviously we have a world where not everyone was aligned and there were those who were more opportunistic and who were willing to sign up with the Empire. The idea behind Boba Fett was that he was part of a group called Imperial Super Commandos and now we're revisiting the idea of Stormtrooper Mandalorians. Right. How did you come up with the look for these soldiers? Obviously there's all the very, very early days Joe Johnson designs for what ultimately evolved into Boba when he was still going to be part of the squad of white armored super commandos. Dave had a bunch of sketches that were a little bit of that but also hybrided with some ideas that he had of his own. He felt that they needed to be unique enough that you didn't think that's just Mandalorian armor with a T-visor that is white that it had. Something that was a little more aggressive and very slightly more imperial. And then as soon as you make any of that armor white it obviously begins to read much more like a clone or a stormtrooper or a first order. Gar Saxon is a character that had originally appeared in the Son of Dathomir series and he was sided with Maul. What has he been up to since then and why is he now with the Empire? Gar Saxon is like the quintessential sellout. He dresses up in Mandalorian tradition but it's clearly he's more interested in power than anything right. deep rooted in any sort of tradition. The idea is he probably was throughout Maul's reign on Mandalore and once Maul was removed towards the end of the Clone War, Gar Saxon very likely withdrew into hiding. Then once the Republic became the Empire and the Empire wanted a puppet leader on Mandalore, he was probably more than willing to come out of the shadows and do whatever it took to earn the Emperor's favor. How much of the Clone Wars design translated to Rebels? Very little because Gar was part of Darth Maul's band and he had the big horned helmet and he had a glowing yellow visor. So pretty much nothing yeah, from the Gar. Yeah, it's quite different. <laughs> it's completely different, which was deliberate. It was sort of Gar has thrown his lot in completely with the Empire. The idea was that the Super Commandos are much more Imperial than they are Mandalorian, which will sort of play into storylines that are going to come up in the future. At the end of this episode, Fen Rao has committed himself to the Rebels' cause. How do you think this will affect the Alliance going forward? If you look at how important Sabine has been as one Mandalorian warrior, her skills, tactics, techniques, her knowledge of the Empire even has really helped the Rebellion. So bringing in another Mandalorian warrior who's capable, who's also a leader, can only help. Fen is a thread to a fighting force that we know is highly skilled, well-equipped, and capable, which is something that the rebels are always in need of. So the question becomes, can our group of rebels enlist the aid of Mandalorians? All right, there we go. Um, what'd you think of that? It's funny because they kind of touched on all the stuff I thought was really interesting. So no, when this episode first came out, we were like, oh man, they're using the, the old... Boba Fett design, bringing in these like Mando Mandalorians, or sorry, yeah. uh, Empire Mandalorians. Yeah, yeah. And, it, you know, people might be like, oh, but uh, there's like that other old Boba Fett design, which, you know, they used for um, for some of those other Mandalorians at one point, and the costume that Obi-Wan Kenobi took from um, that bounty hunter right. from Clone Wars and stuff. and. You know, everyone's right. Like, there's there was so many concepts drawn up for for that character that they had a lot to draw from later when you know they started needing variants of Mandalorian helmets and such. So there's a lot out there. There's a lot out there. Um, you know, done up for Boba Fett, and you know he's really sort of the uh, the starting point for a lot of this Mandalorian lore. It's also the origin of the Mythosaur. I mean, the Mythosaur started off as the sigil on his his armor, just a little painted on uh, skull. Just an emblem. Just an emblem, yeah. yeah. And then from that grew this lore, this legend of this giant beast, and stories were told 
throughout the EU. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, now we've got, you know, a live action show featuring an actual mythosaur in it. So, like, it's crazy how That's far true. things come. Mythosaur or myth no more. <laughs> myth no more. <laughs> did you just come up with that? <laughs> I did, yeah. Uh, man, how? <laughs> <laughs> I should have thought of, I should have uh, came up with that more we actually reviewing the episode. My, just uh, got an inch. my brain's not got that much juice in it. <laughs> <laughs> this episode marks the first uh, time that we see the Phantom 2. And uh, the Phantom 2 is designed from an old Republic se- uh, Separatist shuttle, uh, which we saw them recover in the last battle in the previous episode. And uh, Sabine has painted it up to make it look like it's part of the ghost. And they've... Uh, it did a good job. It matches the rest it, of the ghost really well. It does. It does. It does a really nice job. My, my, my kind of weirdness suspicion is I didn't think that those ships were of the same size. As the I Panthers. was just going to bring that up. I always thought they were bigger. Yeah, I always thought so too. Because you see them in person in the f- in the film. Oh, Sorry, was someone calling in? Escape, escape pod controls going haywire in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Spilled your coffee on the control panel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Because uh, we see that ship, right, when they arrest, um, like, the, the, the Modians. I think it's in the Phantom Menace, is that right? Yeah, so in, in Phantom Menace, um, is it Phantom Menace? I forget if we mm-hmm. see them in Phantom Menace or not, but I know for sure that there, there's one in Attack of the Clones. In uh, mm-hmm. Geonosis, there's one that kind of gets away when, when Dooku's escaping. And uh, there is... More than a few, I think, in uh, Revenge of the Sith, there's one that shows up on Utapau, I believe. And um, I've got a Clone Wars Lego set version, which is like gray and blue. But in the movies, they're usually like a tan color. And um, I think the Rebels, for like when they showed up in the show, like in the last battle, that is, I think they did a pretty good job at kind of designing it off of that ship. But... Yeah, I do think that uh, traditionally the the Phantom is in a, a bit of a, a smaller ship compared to uh, the likes of one of those shuttles. And yet, you know, magically it sort of just fits it's in the back of the great. ghost. But it just goes to show how big of a ship the ghost really is. Like, the, the ghost is huge. That's, that's true. I'm wondering, it makes me wonder... If there's like standardized ship sizes, you know, or like, like you kind of look at like our cars, right? Or like if you look at like a sedan, they're all like roughly the same size. Yeah. Or if you go for a truck, they're like roughly the same size. What if it's something along those lines? So then. Yeah, there must be, right? Because like. There's crossover for we, stuff like docking. Right. And we've seen yeah, a lot of. Um, menace. Yeah. For sure. It is the same ship in the Phantom Menace as well. It is. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. So it's, it's uh, when the Nemoidians land after they've taken over Naboo. So does and, it. Like, vi- the droids have already taken over the city. Does it look like visibly bigger? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I would say it's like. Uh, so the, the part where the ramp comes out underneath. 
Yeah. Like that's just that section is the same size as the original ghost. And then it's, I don't know, eight times as big over top of it. Okay. So, cause the original phantom has a cockpit with, uh, what is it? One pilot seat in the middle and then behind it in the show, they make visible room to have a cluster of like five people kind of chilling back there right so like it's it's not like say, a it's not like an escape pod but it's definitely not like not massive. a lot bigger no. i will say the one of phantom menace looks bigger than the one in attack of the clones okay like i think there's two yeah i would say that it actually looks like it, it it's like a different scaled version in clone so wars like they did make a longer one Okay. Yeah, they did make a longer one. In Clone Wars, there's like two types. So there's one that's like elongated, and there's like two kind of fins on top. And I think that one only showed up in Clone Wars. It was called a Maxillipede shuttle. And uh, the other one, I forget what the other one's called, but uh, the other one is is uh, a, a shorter one, which only has the one fin on top. The one that the the one that the, the, the Phantom 2 is made of. And, uh, oh, gotcha. here we go. The, that's one's, yeah, that one's it, called a sheath, Sheathapede. Yeah. Sheathapede, and the other one's called a Maxillipede shuttle. So. Okay, I'm, I'm looking at the Sithipede. Sheathapede. Sheathapede, yeah. Okay, yeah, so passengers, it says eight. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's, you could technically get that in the Ghost, but it'd be crammed. Yeah, and the length here, it says 14.4 meters long on wikipedia and i think we can trust wikipedia would you say i mean no one else is gonna have a better idea so. yeah it's, it's true i mean you know it's wikipedia so yeah i would say like okay you have 14 14.4 and then let, like let's combine it with the phantom 2 um, there's one in Revenge of the Sith as well so there's one in each prequel movie and they're all different the Phantom 2 doesn't so have I, it. Oh. So I just pasted in the uh, recording chat in the side there, all three of them. Oh, okay. And they yeah, seem I'll to get see. smaller with each movie, so maybe it's the Revenge of the Sith version. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. Okay, well, okay, so the one from Revenge of the Sith, though, it's not like... That's... It's the smallest, and it has, like, an actual, like, a cockpit, cockpit window. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's different. Because the one from Attack of the Clones doesn't have a window. Yeah, it's the only one with the window. And then the one Does from the... Phantom Menace is... Yeah, that is visibly much larger. That one actually looks like the Mila, the, Maxi, the Maxipede one. Oh, okay. Just, just so based gonna... on where the... The off-ramp and the, is. I just looked up the Phantom 2, and it actually looks like none of them. <laughs> it's the Rebels, it's the Rebels art style. <laughs> it's Maybe. mostly it's most resemblant, I think, of the one from Revenge of the Sith with the giant bubble cockpit thing on it. But you're right. Yeah. You're right. You know, the it, it's the not, windows are completely different. Yeah, it's very like it's very a lot more stubby looking. But um what's interesting to me is on the Wikipedia the Wikipedia page for the Phantom 2, it doesn't actually give dimensions. It doesn't actually, there's no pr- dimensions provided. So they didn't just assume that it is the same scale 
as the Sheathapede class transport shuttle, mm-hmm. which is, you know, for for all those listening at home, the one from Revenge of the Sith that you see on Utapau. And uh, and yet some of the other stats are the different. So like, you know, they've got different different costs and different maximum speeds, and that's the only noticeable difference. But I don't know. I mean, like, I guess it's just one of those things that's like what best suits the show. And to me, I would say if I were to come up with the Pablo answer, it's... Yeah. The fact that these classes of transport shuttles were probably so widely used. I mean, like there's also that that one from from Clone Wars that was saying that you know we don't we didn't even see in the live action shows, but or films. But again, maybe that's the one that we're seeing in, in you know Phantom Menace that we just can't really d- determine that well, uh, just because of the the placement of the camera. But there there's one 100. percent There's one called Sheathapede Class Type B shuttle. And that one's like, that one's just a super, super long version of the single oh. fin shuttle. So there's a, there's a variety of these things out there. So we're already looking at four possible different types. You know, maybe the Rebels ones are also, again, a different, a different type, right? Uh, maybe one that just wasn't revealed to us as of yet. So Yeah, uh, it looks like the one in Clone Wars is also different again, so... <laughs> Yeah, here I'm. I'm just. I'm just sending you the the photo of the Sheath B class type B shuttle. Oh, that's really long. That's really long, right? Yeah. So, like, there's a variety of these things out there. I guess it's not super difficult to imagine an idea that maybe the ones from Rebels are, you know, a bit more of a smaller variant. Oh, that last one you just sent's weird. Looks like Vader's tower. Yeah, it's got like the two fins on top. That's the maxillipede. Which is kind of funny because it's not even the biggest. <laughs> That's true. And on top of that, I feel like the whole, making the wing bigger accomplished nothing because it's there's nothing up there. Yeah, <laughs> this whole transport's in the bottom instead of these two <laughs> spires on top of it. Yeah, yeah, but you know, I think you're right. I think I think maybe there is uh, something there. There's maybe a discussion to be had about sort of the scale of ships and. Uh, you know, really just kind of how big are some things? Because for us to imagine mm-hmm. the size of some of these ships, right, it can be very difficult because we're not really comparing them with any kind of normal sense of scale, like vehicle that we would own. So when we look at something like the Millennium Falcon or the Ghost or something, it's not really until you see it in live action in person, like when you walk into the docking bay in episode four and like Luke takes a look at this giant ship and he's like, it's a hunk of junk. Like, <laughs> right. And then, you know, that's not exactly the first words that come to mind when you see it for the first time in the movie. If you've never seen the movie before, all you can think of is, whoa, like that's huge. And, uh, that's true. and then you turn it, it's kind of a, it's kind of a comical moment for Luke to be like, that's a hunk of junk. That's a pile um, of junk. It's a piece of junk. We could buy our own <laughs> ship for this. Like, <laughs> So, like, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of funny, right? But at the same time, the ghost being a Corellian freighter is supposed to be even noticeably larger, you know, bigger because it's got the deployable it's, ship on the back. It's got the giant, like, sort of mini hangar thing that they always come out of, like, at the bottom. That's true. Like, it's funny because you and I know that's the case because we've looked into it, but they never really show that. 
No, like you and never see it next to a, a YT thirteen hundred. No, ever. that's right. That's right. And, uh, and the, Le the Lego got it completely wrong, and it is smaller than every version of the Falcon. Yeah, yeah, it is. yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's it's um, it's interesting because I was just having this conversation the other day with uh, with a friend of mine, with uh, with Curtis, and Curtis has been on the podcast before, I think once, and uh, you know we'll get him on again at some point. But it's uh, he was he was he was texting me about sort of the, the new Lego Ghost set for uh, for Ahsoka that's coming out. And um, we we're talking about UCS Lego sets, and he's a big Lego guy. And um, oh, you know, he loves the UCS stuff. Yeah, he loves the UCS stuff. He's got he's got all the he's got the UCS Falcon. He's got you know, he's got a oh, lot wow. of a lot of these things, right? Not all of them, but a lot of them. And he was like, I really just wish that they'd made a UCS Ghost by now. And I said to him, I was like, Oh man, dude, if they kept that to scale with the Falcon, that thing would be huge. Like we're talking. Yeah bigger than the falcon and i think the falcon is like the legos legos crown jewel ship right like they make that as big as it is because it's their crown jewel ship right i don't think and they're about to they know uh, people will buy it which like how many people would buy a, a scale ghost just for the cost of parts right exactly right like it would be even more expensive it would be absolutely gigantic right and as cool as it would be to have a giant massive spaceship in your living room on a table taking up the table, um, you know, the question really begs is like, how many people are going to look at it and know what it is? So that's true. The crown jewel being the Falcon is is kind of the crown jewel for a reason, because it's recognizable. So they make that one the biggest. And even in the minifigure scale, they make the Lego Falcon, I think, bigger, noticeably bigger than the ghost Lego version for minifigures, right? Because I have the ghost and you've seen it and it's not, yep. it's not like a it's crazy big or anything. Yeah, it's smaller yeah, than it's I would have, yeah, it's smaller than I would expect. It's like the size of a Lego X-Wing, sorry, size of a Lego TIE Fighter or something. Yeah, and they make the it's minifigure Falcon even bigger. So like Lego kind of, kind of messes up a little bit on when it comes to scale on their ships. They sort of deter, they sort of play it by a year and they're like, uh, you know, how many bricks should we should we make this yeah, one, right? That's what it comes down to is like price points, I think, because the ghost was for a kid show. So they're not going to have a lot of adults with deep pockets buying it, right? It's going to be a lot of younger people. So it's got to be price pointed where kids can a, afford it on allowance or get it for like a birthday or something. The parents won't be wanting to skip it because it's too expensive. I think that's where our sense of scale comes from though, right? Like, you know, we look at the Lego ships and we kind of, kind of sort of see these things growing up and as we get older and i think we just sort of mentally put the puzzle together in sort of lego sizes and you know translate that to the show <laughs> you know what i mean right yeah yeah because that, that's like your physical rough for like point yeah. of view of yeah. being able to see it right exactly yeah from a certain point of view from a certain point of view uh, I love how splinter cells of Mandalorians have to earn their wings, you know, their jetpacks. You know, in the Mandalorian show, you know, at some point, Din Djarin, he gets his jetpack and, he's, you know, gets, go, gets the whole talk, right? The whole jetpack talk, right? Meanwhile, Sabine is like, I've been wanting one of these. And then she, like, freaking takes it from the guy and just flies off and knows how to use it right away. Did you find it's, that kind of weird and funny at the same time? 
Well, I think they still have training. I think as Mandalorians, you still train with it, so you know kind of what's going on. I know in Clone Wars and Mandalore, they all have jetpacks. <laughs> yeah, and I guess Din Djarin is part of a splinter cell that doesn't really quite conventionally follow the, the ways of the Mandalorians that we know from previous Star Wars stories, but I just thought that was so... Uh, I don't know why that lasted. I don't, it's kind of sort of stuck in my head that Din Djarin, you know, his group, they got to earn the jetpack. They got to earn the wings. And yet, right. you know, I just see see this like snippy little girl just like knock some dude out and like take his jetpack. Be like, I've always cool. wanted one of these. Oh, cool. This. Yeah, this is mine now. And then just flies off. It's like, all right. <laughs> Did you notice the design for the jetpack was different? Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. Imperial Mandos. The Imperial Super Commando jetpack. Yeah, it's... Um, all streamlined and they have the this single thruster instead of the two boosters yeah yeah what do you what do you think of that design it looks like apple decided to make a jetpack <laughs> yeah. it looks like an air filtration system really the imperial super commandos are just like apple boba fett's yeah 100 percent. yeah well the same with all the sequel trilogy stormtrooper as being like oh, the, the eye troopers the, yeah. the eye troopers yeah that's what people were calling them back when they revealed the design uh i almost forgot about that but yeah it's kind of you know very clean very uh yeah i don't know i guess i guess imperial sort of a good way to to sort of put it i guess i'm i'm kind of i have questions though as to perhaps you know is there man is there armor made of made of beskar and if it is i don't think so i think i I don't. I'm not sure why I know this. I'm sure I heard it somewhere, but I think it's all just plastoid, same as regular stormtroopers. That's definitely possible. Um, the other possibility is that it could be the same as that white armor Beskar stuff that we saw in the Mandalorian season three, most recently, when they go to Mandalore in the finale episode, and they're fighting against all those sort of imperialized stormtroopers that are wearing sort of a Beskar-like strength armor. And apparently it is Beskar, but it's it's sort of spray-painted with like a like a white polished coating oh. or something like that. No, I guess I might be wrong, because I'm looking... I just looked up Wikipedia, and it says it's made from Beskar. Well, if it is, I mean, uh, you know, there you go. But I, it's just like, I, I thought to myself, like, ah, oh, well, we've seen this now again. You know, in the live action series that we've seen white Beskar, you know, I guess it's just, I'm, you know, maybe it just comes down it's to the paint, the paint, but yeah, it's just yeah. the paint, but it's so polished and everything. It almost makes it look like it's plastoid, right? So do we ever find out if the troopers in Mandalorian are supposed, supposed to be Imperial Super Commandos or there's something else entirely? I think the ones from Mandalorian are indeed a variant of the Super Commandos. However, they're not necessarily part of... Um, of uh, what's his face, um, Gar Gar Saxon's unit. I think they're uh, of of a different unit, maybe not even Mandalorian at all. And uh, and yet the armor exists because of Moff Gideon's schemes there. But uh, right, you know, maybe maybe there's some inspiration there. Maybe all of that sort of came from the Imperial Super Commandos. And at the time when this when the story arc was being done up, you know, let's not forget, we didn't really know the true fate of Mandalore. And it's not even brought up in the show. I've I've been keeping an eye out for whether or not they 
trip over the lore that has been established in the Mandalorian. And uh, so far, there's been no mention of the destruction of Mandalore or the Night of a Thousand Tears, right? When they blow up Sundari City. There's been you know, no mention of Moff Gideon, of course, nothing. And uh, I think that's probably a good thing, only because maybe Dave kind of knew ahead of time, I don't know what I want to do with that planet. Let's just stick to other planets in the same region and tell stories there but not necessarily what happened on, on Mandalore itself. And uh, Yeah, they haven't really dove into that much, have they? No, and I do know that there's more coming up, you know, more Mandalorian stuff coming down the road in Season 3. So, you know, let's kind of hold that question in our heads as we move forward through the season. But, uh, you know, just kind of keep an eye out. Keep an eye out for, like, little things that might be tripping over what we know now from from the live-action show. Because that to a lot of people will be like the definitive sort of story as to what happened to Mandalorians in general. Not a lot of people know what happened to Mandalore and its other surrounding planets in, uh, you know, it, uh, we only see Dinjar and kind of point them out to Grogu when he's flying to Mandalore and he goes to one of those planets to visit Bo-Katan. But, you know, we don't, we don't get every, absolutely every system, every planet in the system, like when he's flying to, to Mandalore with Grogu there. So, um, definitely right. something to keep an eye on. Yeah, I really yeah. am curious to explore it more just because even when you just like see Mandalore, the state it's in, like you, you have questions, right? Yeah. Like chunks of planets in their system was just entirely missing. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of that's supposed to go back to the Mandalorian Wars in the EU. Like, or, uh, was it, I think it was prior to Revan. Anyway. Yeah. Wow, how the how the planet was sort of bombarded and you know un, yeah. uninhabitable, so that they started living in domes. Yeah, and that's actually um, I was just watching the Mandalorian Gallery season three, like the making of season three episode, and uh, I thought it was kind of interesting that I forget who it was. It was it was Dave or John or somebody. Oh, Doug. It was Doug Chang, the the designer lead lead designer on on that show. And he actually said it was George's idea for Mandalore to have that environment. And uh, I assume that this comes from when they did Mandalore up for the Clone Wars, uh, probably based on some, uh, maybe some aspects of, of, of um, mm. EU material, maybe. Per, per, again, yeah, perhaps well, maybe EU material... So collaborated with George when, when Mandalore had to be done back way back when in some book somewhere, right? Well, I'm trying to remember the the the, the Republic Commando novels because they, they went to Mandalore. Yeah. And I remember the, the planet was just like uninhabitable except for, I think, in the books there was still some livable space on the north and south poles, but like, that's it. You're right. Okay. Yeah. So I could buy that. I mean, you know, it's a big planet. Like, I don't think the whole thing would be completely uninhabitable, but, um, that is, that is, it, it is kind of worth knowing, like it's been made that way. You know, it wasn't always that way. And what's cool about it is it was George's idea to, to do that. So, um, yeah, that's pretty cool. I didn't realize that was the case. Yeah, kind of, kind of a neat little thing. Ezra riding Purgles to uh, riding Chopper in in this episode. Um, 
what will he be riding next? <laughs> I just want to throw that out there. Uh, no comment needed. <laughs> uh, uh, something, something else that came up was uh, Sabine is now bested Gar Saxon and Fenrau in combat, and I found it a little weird. And she's like fifteen. Yeah, like a fifteen-year-old girl just beat two war veterans hand-to-hand combat, both starting with Fenrau and now Gar Saxon. And Gar Saxon, you know, we haven't really talked about him yet. He's the dude with the horned helmet back in the Clone Wars. You know, he's the guy with the, the yellow glowing visor. You know, we, we first met him in the Son of Dathomir. Uh, sorry, no, my mistake. Uh, we first met him in, I think, season five of Clone Wars. He knocks Obi-Wan out when he's calling for help. And then we see him uh, free Darth Maul from prison in the Son of Dathomir comics, uh, which adapted for unproduced Clone Wars episodes because the show was canceled. So, um, yeah. And then he cool. showed up in the season seven finale helping Maul in the Battle of Mandalore. And he was the one, the main guy over the intercom that's like, yeah, Lord Maul, we need your help. And then Maul's like, mm, die well, Mandalorian, you know, and then he kind of signs off and gets the heck out of there. And uh, this is the same guy. So, you know, he's, he's been through a lot. He's been screwed over a few times, sided with the wrong guys. Now he's with the Empire. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, it makes sense then that he would then join the Empire, right? He's kind of always betrayed, more or less, his people. Yeah. Yeah, he's a scumbag. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hmm. I'm wondering if... I'm looking on Wikipedia. I'm not sure if it's backwards or not. Because it says that the Son of Dathmere comics aren't canon. They are. They are. Yeah, because the Son of Dathmere is coming up under the Legends banner. Uh, there should be a, there should be a canon. Uh, yeah. tab as yeah, well. I'm looking at that one, and then it, that doesn't have the Son of Dathmere. Oh no, it does too. That's why is Son of Dathmere showing up under both. That's weird. That is weird. You know. Okay, so that's probably because it came out in 2014 and this was i think before they'd released the first canon novel so there was a bit of like kind of weirdness going on with like what's canon what's not it was also one of the last things that was published by dark horse before dark horse um, lost the license to marvel comics so in a way it's sort of considered by some people like pre-disney canon literature but that doesn't make it not canon. Like this is still oh. this is still canon material. It was one of the first canon pieces of literature to have to have happened, you know, in in the beginning. And uh, it it adapts four entire Clone Wars scripts that were done up for for Clone Wars season seven, I believe. Because so it's like that that Luke novel that was it came out like almost immediately after. The announcement, so they made it canon. That's right. That's but right. Yeah. So before everything kind of fit in, I think it's the one where he moves the noodles with the force. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's exactly it. Um, sorry, my mistake. They're adapted into unproduced screenplays for season six of the Clone Wars. But if uh, if we all remember correctly, season five came out. There was a break for the summer. Season six started premiering, and then the show was canceled. And um, you know, progress on that season was was cut short. But all this concept art existed, the stories were done, the audio existed, all that stuff. So they had the performances and they had the, the material to sort of produce these episodes in a different 
uh, media format. And uh, it's really, really good. Like, I, I'm, I'm kind of sad that these episodes didn't make it um, further than a page because, uh, man, like, you know, the death of Mother Talzin, you know, there was, there oh, was, yeah. there was that. There was uh, Count Dooku fighting Darth Maul. Like, you know, heck yeah, I want to see that. And uh, General Grievous, you know, lots of action there. He actually killed some Jedi for, you know, first time in a while. Like, that was cool. It was a bunch of stuff to appreciate. And uh, a lot more Mandalorian-related stuff also explains how he gets captured by Sidious in the end of Season 5 and all of a sudden in Season 7, you know, quote-unquote Season 7, you know, he's all of a sudden at the top of the chain still ruling over Mandalore. So, you know, the big question a lot of people have is like, what the heck happened? And uh, this comic explains it all. Like, this is, this is the missing story arc that, you know, perhaps people asking that question haven't read. And uh, it's because it's canon. It's because it's, it's, you know, Dave knew that this story, you know, the story existed in the lore, existed in his head. This is his story. So naturally, you know, we're telling the next chapter, let's not change it because this story is out there. We've released it to fans. It exists as a comic book. Let's leave it at that. So Yeah, it makes sense. And when you're trying to keep the story moving forward, going into Rebels and stuff, you have you have to go on the basis of like your story of what kind of already happened, right? Because you don't have a replacement for that. Totally. So, makes sense. Totally. Um oh we should probably move move up our uh our um Talk, yeah, we, we talked about this episode for a long time. Yeah, we talked about this one for a while. <laughs> All right, season three. Oh, Pablo points oh. Poodoos. Uh, I'm going to score this one. Um, explain it, bro. Yeah, um, yeah, Pablo points of Poodoos. Uh, <laughs> three Pablo Poodoos is uh, the worst of the worst of the worst. Moving up from there, you got two Pablo Poodoos, one Pablo Poodoo, Bendu. That's a 50% score. And then we got Pablo points. One, two, and three Pablo points. Three being the best of the best of the best. And uh, I'm going to give this one, I'm going to give this one a Bendu. Mm. Sort of right in the middle for me. Yeah, that's fair. Mm. Like it wasn't bad. Uh, it wasn't bad. And it also just kind of didn't stand out didn't to me at all. You. I mean, it's no. other than our, our previous episode we did, which had a big old squad of two poodoos. Yeah, that is, that is much better than that one, but. Um, yeah, also Gar Saxon is like, I feel like he could have been a little, done a little better in this one, but you think he just came across as too weak? Or yeah. What? He just come across too weak. Yeah. I mean, Sabine he beats was, him. Like, Sabine, yeah. Sabine probably should have lost. I would also have gave her something to grow towards. Yeah, totally. But I guess she had, she has enough going on as we'll see in the future here. I'll get, I'll give it one pop a point. I think. All right. Sounds good. Season 3, Episode 8, Iron Squadron, directed by Saul Ruiz, written by Matthew Michnovitz, released on Disney XD November 19th, 2016, guest stars Meredith Ann Ball, Lars Mikkelsen, Eric Lopez, and Zachary Gordon. This is Rebels Recon. Hey there, Rebels fans, it's your old pal Goody, or Andy Gutierrez if you're not into that whole nickname thing, coming at you from Lucasfilm headquarters. This week, the Rebels encountered the scrappy Iron Squadron crew, and now I'm here to show you how it all came together. This is Rebels Recon. Above my capo, the ghost encounters a fearless crew calling themselves the Iron Squadron, successfully attacking an Imperial transport alone. They just bombed the Imperial transport 
cargo? Aboard their ship, Hera and Ezra try to convince Iron Squadron's captain, Mark Matten, to join his Uncle Sato's rebellion. You can't stay here and fight the Empire alone. But after Mart refuses the offer and leaves his crew with the rebels, he's ambushed by the Empire, and it's up to the Ghost to save him. You guys came back! What do you expect? We're the Iron Squadron! This week, we saw the Ghost crew team up with the Iron Squadron to go against the Empire. I sat down with cast and crew to talk about what it was like bringing their iconic ship back into Star Wars, why the crew is so headstrong, and get a little more information on the inspiration behind these super cool characters. In Iron Squadron, Ezra meets a group of kids fighting the Empire on his own, much like he did before he was a part of the Ghost crew. How do you think he can help them grow? Well, the Iron Squadron, they're all based on cool people <laughs> in Lucasfilm, so there are already stakes to that episode because you gotta do these characters justice. But he feels a closer connection with them than most people right away just because it's one of those cases where you see another version of yourself and you automatically relate. And they're doing the same thing he's doing. They're trying to fight against the Empire. How long do you think the Iron Squadron has been fighting the Empire on their own? Probably uh, not too long before we meet them in this episode. Mart's father, who the brother of Sato, he got killed by the Empire on Maikapo. So ever since then, Mark took it upon himself to take action and make sure that the Empire doesn't do this to any more people. So he formed his own group of rebels and called themselves the Iron Squadron. They haven't been there long enough to even know what a Star Destroyer is. They've taken out a few transports, probably strafed some ground forces. They have no idea that there's this larger scale battle beyond their particular neighborhood. So they're feeling pretty confident in what they could do in their area, but they need to be educated on the ways of the larger galaxy. Since Goody's name is a reference to me, did you use any elements of my look in designing her? Same with the other members of the uh, Iron Squadron? You mean John or Jin? And John or... Mart yeah. <laughs> Mart's hair was the whole thing. I mean, that didn't go through too many changes. We knew we were going for some kind of Ramones 70s look for Mart. John or was probably the trickiest one. We went back and forth on John or. And then Goody, because she was Thelen, a lot of that was going to be driven by what we know Thelen's look like. So there were options to sort of play with hair color and stuff. But as far as horns running down the side of the head and the dots and stuff, that was sort of locked in. If you look at some of the original story ideas for Star Wars, the end battle against the Empire was going to be, in addition to there being Wookiees involved, there was going to be this sort of lost boys group of kids and just a bunch of youngsters that would join the fight against the Empire. Ultimately, that didn't happen in A New Hope, but that idea has always been in there, this core idea of a bunch of young kids leading the fight against tyranny. So is that ship actually the Outrider as made famous by Dash Rendar, or is it just another YT-2400? It's just another YT. I mean, you might think of those as the Chevy vans of the galaxy. They're everywhere. There's different paint jobs and different colors and different decals. So Rebels isn't the first time that you've drawn the ship that the Iron Squadron in. So no. Yeah, you worked on it a little bit with Shadows of the Empire. I did work on it for Shadows of the Empire. I really liked how it was similar but different to the Falcon. It's just the smaller, more compact, slightly sleeker version. I didn't initially come up with the design for that ship. It was originally a Doug Chang design. It was a lot of work, actually, because vehicles and environments take more time than anything else. They have to be a little specific for a TV show. We can't do sort of a shot-based solution like a movie where the outside doesn't necessarily have to perfectly hook up with the inside. Mm -hmm. We have to make it, and then whatever it is is what it's going to be. I was recently talking to Doug Chang about it. It was actually designed for the special edition of Star Wars, and because Shadows of the Empire was in development at the same time and was in need of a ship. They plucked that design and assigned it to Dash Rendar, named it the Outrider, and it became this real thing for fans who could fly through a video game, play with it as a toy, read it in a comic book. So it has a lot of weight to it. So we we're all big fans of it and we we're able to give it some, some highlight here. All right. So um, 
Yeah. Uh, I love how they just mostly talked about the uh, the Outrider. Yeah, I know, right? So that, that's something I was going to bring up. That's something I was going to bring up because I really don't have a lot to say about this episode. For me, this episode was a bit kind of meh. But the t- YT2400 model, you know, you might be looking at it going, hey, it looks like the Falcon. Um, it It's, you know, it's a, it's like a Corellian freighter that's a different model. But so, yeah, it definitely should resemble that. And, you know, it's a, <laughs> I, like how Ed, I like how Zeb describes it in the episode as a ship full of Ezra's. <laughs> yeah, I wrote that down too. <laughs> so good. Iron Squadron sounds like a ship full of Ezra's. Wait a minute. We're going to rescue a ship full of Ezra's? <laughs> He's just not interested at all. Yeah, that's like his way of saying uh, annoying, bratty young kids. Um, yeah. Uh, There's so, some neat stuff in that breakdown, though, that I was not aware of. Yeah, I didn't realize Doug Chang had designed it for the special editions just to be in that far background shot in A New yeah, Hope. Yeah, that one shot. Yeah, there you go. That's George, though. George always wants everything pretty thorough. Oh, yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. But they're right. You know, it's they speak of these ships with identities because it's a continuity thing. You know, once they d- design a ship the way it is on the inside and the outside, it stays that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, this episode was kind of stupid. Like, I, I, um, <laughs> I really just thought, oh, man. Like, I remember when I first saw it. I was like, the Outrider. And then, you know, but... It's a bunch of kids on board. Dash oh, nowhere to be let, found. I know Phil. I know Phil. Like man, I can't. I can't wait to show him this episode and be like, Phil, that's it. That's him. That's it. And then like you know, you cut <laughs> to like the inside of the ship, and it's just a bunch of like Ezra's, Ezra's bunch of bratty kids. Oh, no. <laughs> him be like, no, you know. Uh, I think it's Phil that. Dash was replaced with Sato's nephew. Sato's nephew, yeah. <laughs> uh, the one moment you think Dash, the next, uh, not so much. So, yeah, yeah I don't know. Some of his names, like, what's the opposite of, of Dash? Like, Block? Yeah, yeah. This episode really, like, okay, to me, this episode didn't have a lot going for it, you know? Like, I just... It was it was a bunch of kids who joined the Empire. That that was kind of interesting. What Pablo shared about how that was kind of in the original story to have that be a thing. So yeah, in like a New Hope. Yeah. So to have that kind of play tribute to that idea, I like that, and that's about all I like about it. I will say that that one line that Pablo shared raised it a little bit in my mind because it was so meh. And like these kids are like like you said they're, they're like they're. They only really know their like local city block. They don't know anything about the world outside that. Yeah, they don't even know where a star destroyer is. Right. That was kind of that's kind of funny. That, that is kind of funny. That's probably yeah. the best scene where like that. They're used to taking out like the small transports, and they call them star destroyers. They get called out by Sabine, and then there's like a slightly bigger ship shows up, like a star destroyer. Yeah, yeah, yeah slightly bigger. <laughs> like, no. Everything's a star destroyer to them. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> They're just kind of living the dream, you know. They're like living the, the 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 hero's sort of victory in their head, going we like, yeah, "We're a bunch of local heroes, like stopping the empire on our home world, sort of thing." And then, you know, the actual is, the actual empire shows the up, empire? and then they're like, "Oh shoot!" <laughs> right? Oh my gosh! Just the small potatoes they're dealing with. Yeah. But like, how bad is the empire that they can't take out this cohort of like ten-year-old kids? Oh yeah, 
Yeah, totally. He's so incompetent. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Pablo points of Pudus. Um, I'm gonna give this one one Pablo Pudu. Okay, yeah, I thought you might go there. I'm gonna give it a Bendu just because I really like that they've they ex- we got to explore the YT2700 a bit more. That's fair. That's fair. Do you think the the Lost Boys group of kids in the New Hope was in like the original script? draft or was it even prior to that i think heard of that before i think that's what george was saying or or what pablo was saying about george's ideas for star wars i don't know if it ever made it to to a draft but you know it's something that he kind of liked an idea of which maybe broke it up with having obi-wan and han and chewie as part of the crew but um like luke and leia are still quite young you know when they're amongst yeah they were like 18 basically yeah they're like 18 19 years old sort of thing you know when when they're going up against the empire so they're adults but at the same time they're like fresh you know fresh adults <laughs> oh my gosh Jeez, i wonder if this is gonna get reused into skeleton crew or something oh 100 percent. yeah 100 percent. i mean like you know that's what we know about that's pretty much all we know about the show is that it's just a bunch of kids so yeah there you have it. Iron Squadron, everybody. Uh, season 3, Episode 9, The Win Cathu Job. <laughs> Directed by Mel Zwire, written by Gary Witta. November 19th, 2016 on Disney XD. Guest stars James Hong and Jim Cummings, of course, returning as Hondo Onaka. Uh, here is Rebels Recon. What's up, Rebels fans? It's Andy Gutierrez, back at it again from Lucasfilm headquarters. This week, Hondo and As Morgan returned with a new scheme, and now I'm here to take you behind the scenes. So grab your favorite Ugnaught and hold on tight. Rebels Recon starts right now. Hondo and As Morgan convinced the Rebels to board an abandoned Imperial freighter above Wincathu in exchange for a cache of proton bombs. So what's in it for you two? Well, there is also some cargo you would not be interested in. Once on board, the crew learns that this is not the first time Hondo has attempted to board the ship. So you brought us in only after you'd lost your entire crew trying it yourself. But while unloading the loot, the crew awakens dormant Imperial sentry droids and must escape the ship without their treasures in order to survive. Okay, we got him! Cut the line! This week, we saw two of our favorite pirates make their return to Rebels. I sat down with cast and crew to talk about Hondo and Ez Morgan, Ezra's relationship with Hondo, how the sentry droids were inspired by the Dark Forces video game, and so much more. Check it out. Hondo and Ez Morgan return. Yes. What is it like creating these more offbeat episodes with these fun characters? Oh my goodness. They are a blast to work with. (laughs) You can take their characters and drop them in any situation and basically just let them go. You know, let them do their thing. I mean, the opportunity to put Jim Cummings and James Hong in the same story and have them bounce off each other is just irresistible. You gotta figure these guys, their relationships probably change on a daily, if not hourly basis. In Star Wars, there's room for stories of all kinds, besides just the deep 
deep mythological stories of good and evil. I think the colorful characters really kind of work well in a story like this. After all these adventures with Hondo, what do you think Ezra's real opinion of the pirate is? I think he loves him. Hondo and Ezra have a special bond because the kid that he was on Lethal is still part of him and he was a little street rat kid who stole things from people and wanted to instigate and stir up trouble and that's exactly what Hondo is. He hasn't lost that youthful spirit to him and that like cavalier attitude. What they see as like parameters or what's appropriate is a lot broader than most people so I think that's a fun place for them to both live in. The gag with the hole in the door is one of my favorite jokes this entire season. Whose idea was that? This was not even in the script. Zeb has been put in control of this mission and he sends Chopper to the bridge to turn the power on so they can get inside. I'm like, but Ezra's right there and he's got a lightsaber. Why isn't Ezra just go, I'm not waiting. I'm going to cut a hole in the door. And then when we get to act three and the sentry droids are coming down the hallway, we originally had in the script that the door was sealed shut. And then the droids ended up having to blast through it. But if the door is still shut, there's a big hole in it. <laughs> It's just a really funny moment. You think when you, you're dealing with a CG show, you think it's completely you know, imaginary, but there is a reality to it because you have the assets and you're modifying them for the purposes of the show. And the hole was cut in the door for the story needs and it just naturally informed the gag that came afterwards. <laughs> the Imperial security droids look a lot like they were inspired by the Dark Troopers mm -hmm. seen in the Dark Forces video game. Was this actually one of the inspirations? Or? It absolutely was. In the script, the droids that were on board that got activated were actually probe droids and it made sense that the Empire would use Imperial probe droids mm -hmm. as guards on the ship. But then while we were making it, we went, but that's really boring. We've seen them and we know what they do. So just being a big fan of Dark Forces and knowing that the plot called for Imperial scary monster robots, it made sense at least to pitch. We've seen that Hondo actually has a bit of a heart, but does Az Morgan have any redeemable traits about him? I don't know. You want to keep these guys contrasting as much as possible. As Morgan is not completely wicked, but you do want to keep him repulsive. The story really is about the idea that Ezra always wants to think the best about people that he's encountered and to see good things in them. This is kind of one of the great things about him and it's a weakness sometimes because mm -hmm. he will trust in people he shouldn't. All right, so this one was kind of interesting. Uh, Hondo and As Morgan return to the story and uh, Hondo makes a blind joke at Kanan. He just shakes his head. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I was like, man. I like. <laughs> he says that twice in a row. I think. Classic Hondo. Classic. Oh, yeah. I'm blind. Yeah. Oh. You would have to be blind uh, not to see this opportunity. Oh, I'm so sorry. By the way. <laughs> <laughs> All Hondo. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, proton bombs. Uh, they called them proton bombs, but um, are these intended to be? The proton same torpedoes? as tor proton torpedoes, yeah, because like when they shoot out, they're just like a glowing plasma ball sort of thing. So, right. like, is this what shoots those out, or like, you know, did you kind of wonder that? That's a good question. I didn't really think about it, to be honest. Yeah, because hmm. you never really see anything like this attached to like X wings, right? I think it's something you put on the inside, but I don't know, like. It Looks like a giant battery to me. It's like, it's like a canister of some sort. Like you can only use it once, yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, like it resembles like an old kind of like submarine shell or something like that. You know? Or yeah, like that's a, exactly what it looks like. Yeah. I googled. I googled it. So a proton torpedo and a concussive concussion missile were significantly less powerful compared to a, a rocket or bomb. 
So it actually seems to be just a, an explosive. Oh, okay. All right. Interesting. Hmm. So maybe they just drop those, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yeah maybe this is what like the the bombers are using or something. Yeah. yeah the the Y wings. Right. Uh all right, yeah. Well, um DT troopers, these uh dark trooper series sentry droids. It was interesting to hear uh them talk about the reason why they use those instead of probes and uh another reference to dark forces, which was pretty cool because, you know, just coming off the back of the the YT twenty four hundred class Corellian ship. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of references and rebels to the same game. <laughs> yeah. Makes sense. Uh, the DT series sentry droids, this is the same line of, uh, of sort of stuff that leads to the dark trooper that we see in the Mandalorian. And, uh, yeah, see, I was wondering that because I pulled up a bunch of stuff here. And because it's interesting how, like, in the Dark Forces game, there's three variants, right, of the troopers. Right. Phases one, two, and three. Yeah, so it's like the first one's a droid, and then the second one's like a mech suit, and then I, th- the th- I can't remember if the third one's a mech suit or not. Yeah, an even bigger like each, mech each suit. One, yeah, so each one just gets bigger and like more powerful, I guess. Um, it's also interesting, I'm playing Force Unleashed, and you fight them there as well, and they still have kind of the same design. Yeah, and in Mandalorian, we're, we've kind of been led to believe that that is uh, version 3 Dark Troopers. Like the ones that Luke rips apart, you know, when he's going down the hallway, mm-hmm. those those are dark trooper uh, V3s. So if these are V1s, then um, I guess they're prior to being blaster proof. But we know later in, in the lore that they end up becoming blaster proof as the virgins kind of move up the chain. So I thought it was kind of cool to to kind of. Well, I mean, as Morgan takes one down pretty easily. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, well, these are just... Yeah, it's like, okay, well, these are just kind of like battle droids, I guess. Imperial versions of battle droids because, you know, really they just didn't last too long. <laughs> well, they seem to be just security droids. So I think they just have something on board all of their ships, I guess. Yeah. It's just kind of like backup security. Yeah. For the more un- unmanned stuff, because we know Star Destroyers, you never see them, but they have Stormtroopers. What's interesting for like, yeah, sports. and what's interesting about these is uh, anyone who played Jedi Survivor more recently will know that they showed up in there. And um, I'm kind of wondering, like, whether and how consistent the design is, and whether or not maybe there's a V2 in there somewhere. But um, I thought it was kind of cool, like you know, to see them again. It's just when you're playing the game, they're like way harder to kill, so. To see, like, as yeah. Morgan take one down as easily as he did, I was like, all right. Clearly, they haven't really figured it out yet, but... Yeah, fair enough. Maybe yeah. I've been just faulty. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, and they were also yeah. in the Bad Batch. Mm-hmm. They were in the Bad Batch on uh, on Camino, I think, right? They were the, they were v- very similar to the droids that the... the mm-hmm. Or these... The, the ones that the uh, troops, like, would train against, you know, in that big oh. training arena. And that's in that's bad batch. Yeah, and that's that bad batch. Season, season one when they first went back to Camino. Yeah, um, is throughout the throughout the show, so, and that's kind of right after the prequels. So I think that may have been either 
like also v1 like these ones except maybe more prototype oh, man yeah it is similar what the heck maybe it's just the same manufacturer it feels like stuff in star wars whoever builds stuff makes stuff very similar yeah it's like the we're just talking about the it's the like YT it's all designed by the same people <laughs> that's right like all caribbean ships kind of have the same style yeah yeah yeah, I don't know. I thought maybe maybe those are the prototype or maybe those are like the actual V1s and like these are actually like sort of V1 slash V2 sort of thing. Maybe. You know? well, compared to the original game, they change a lot more. Like in the original game, it's a pretty drastic model difference. Yeah. But these ones, unless you put them side by side, like they kind of just look the same. Yeah. Just the only one that really drops. looks different is the Mandalorian version. But even that, like, it, that one looks smaller than the other ones. And it's more humanoid as well. Because they mm. actually, don't they hold, do they hold blasters in, on those versions or? I forget. And the one in Mandalorian? Yeah. Uh, I forget. Or their arms blasters, I forget. That's a good question. They hold them. I got a picture here. So oh, they okay. hold them in, the, I guess, the phase three. And then phase one and two, it's just built into their arm. Hmm. Similar to like a super battle droid. What a superior upgrade. <laughs> yeah. I give them hands. Yeah, give them hands. Um, hmm. This episode was a bit comic relief. Hold on. I got one last thing. Yep. I just want to know how this plays in to what we learned about the lore in Mando season two, which is, we what's his name? Moff, the, uh, Moff, Moff Gideon. Gideon. Yeah. It's like his secret project. That's like the Dark Trooper project or whatever. Yeah. Was it? There's a name for it. It's one of the, they use one of the names that we find out from Rogue One. Oh, really? I think so. It's like Dark Mantle or something. Huh. Yeah, I'll have to look that up because, yeah, you might be honest. Something. I think it's definitely worth remembering, though, that Moff Gideon was part of the Empire, like at this time. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, he is still responsible for, for the destruction of Mandalore at some point in this time frame. So, you oh, know, it's, that's it, is, it is probably one of those things that maybe he kind of sort of took the mantle of the DT series sentry droids and kind of made it what it is, like, you know, expanded on mm -hmm. that project, right? Um, maybe he was the one who kind of, you know decided to pilot the expanding sort of uh, resources going behind uh you know improving that product and making it even better and and you know whatever else so um yeah that makes sense but what i find kind of funny maybe it's like as he moves up the ranks he gets more power and is able to this is like his personal project so yeah he's able to push it farther and more advanced like so then he's like early in the empire he the best he can do is get get his droids just be like random security droids at cargo ships and then as he then advances up yeah it's like a main weapon against mandalore who yeah. knows yeah, yeah exactly yeah this episode was a lot of comic relief you know a bit a bit of filler involved but i feel like it was a successful episode i feel like it told uh, a fun story that wasn't a waste of time you know there was a, it was a success the rebellion actually got something out of it um which you know again helps build what we come to know it to be by a new hope and uh you know we got to see some dark trooper action which is cool 
and mm-hmm. um, and let's Honda. be honest, any any episode of Hondo is a great line. Yeah, it's always it's always pretty good with Hondo. A great episode. Have- There's a specific line that I, I actually I didn't write down the line, but I wrote down a time code. So if you want to c- connect Disney Plus to the podcast here and go to three minutes and fifty nine seconds, I think there's a great uh, a uh, a great Star Wars Escape Pod uh, line that we could have in there. Okay, and that's uh, sorry, my 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 hands are blazing. Um, which which uh which which time? What's the time code? Uh, three minutes and fifty nine seconds. Three minutes and fifty nine seconds. Okay. Yeah, I remember this line made me chuckle pretty good, so I had to write it down. Okay, I was here. like, oh, we should we should share this. No, 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 my friends, you are the guys for this job. If the Empire couldn't salvage the ship, what hope do we have? Aha! Uh-huh. Because we have something in our favor that the Empire does not, for we are desperate. Uh, for once, he's right. <laughs> the Empire would abandon the ship. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, that's that. a good one. That is a good. One. We have something the Empire doesn't have. We are desperate. <laughs> <laughs> to me, that's like Hondo in a nutshell. I love it. Oh, totally. He th- totally thinks outside of the box, right? Like most people would be like, yeah, we've got hope or like we've got family yeah. or like, yeah, we've got. No, this, no, no, no. That. We are desperate. We are desperate. Yeah, you know what? But he's got, he's onto something. Like he's, he's totally onto something. Like, like Andor has really kind of given us a good idea for the Empire's attitude when it comes to stuff like this. You know, they're so fat and satisfied. It's not worth the effort to go and get that ship if it's, it's going to risk a bunch of... Well, the Empire's weird. Or it's like, yes, that's the case. But they also use their troops and the people, in their, even in their command, as cannon fodder. They so do they waste really a lot. Yeah, they do waste a lot. I think it was maybe one of those things that just kind of like, oh, like it's super dangerous to get this ship. Like, what's, what's on board? Oh, it's just a bunch of money and like a bunch of weapons and stuff. We don't need that. It's fine. Right. Like as it, it kind of yeah, felt fair enough, felt consistent. So I liked it. It was cool. But, I could buy it. Um, but yeah, that's all I got. It was, uh, it was a cool design, though. I really liked the idea of the ship is like trapped in the vortex, just kind of slowly sinking towards the like the, the black hole or whatever it is. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was kind of a neat environment to to uh, have an episode take place in with the time running out, sort of thing, right? Yeah, exactly. That's definitely something that you would do for uh, like a RPG, RPG game. Yeah, hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. Yeah, this episode connected with me pretty well. Um, I think I would award this one one point five Pablo points. Yeah, I think that's that's pretty solid. I'm, I think I'll give it the same one and a half. Yeah, because like it definitely had enough going on that was really enjoyable, and I liked that Zeb got to be the leader, and Ezra just hated every minute of it. Yeah. Yeah, he's was... becoming kind of a pretentious prick so. i know right he's like going backwards in his character again it's like i should be the leader like dude you're like 15 i should be more powerful <laughs> there's too much time with that sith holocron yeah exactly i mean zeb's like a war leader he was like the captain of like the 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 royal guard of his planet and he, yeah. he's always just this background character yeah and meanwhile ezra's like why does zeb get to lead the mission why not right it's like uh because you were on the streets like doing nothing three years ago like mm-hmm. <laughs> uh all right season three episode 10 and inside man directed by Stuart lee written by nicole dubik uh released december 3rd 
2016 on Disney XD. Guest stars Clancy Brown, Mary Elizabeth McGlynn, Lars Mikkelsen, Liam O'Brien, Bonnie Wilde, David Accord. This is Rebels Recon. Rebels fans, it is I, Andy Gutierrez, walking you through your weekly 200-square-foot tour of the Lucasfilm headquarters. This week, Kanan and Ezra return to Lothal and uncovered a game-changing secret. And now it's time to peel back the proverbial curtain and show you how it all came together. This is Rebels Recon. Kanan and Ezra head to Lothal to infiltrate an Imperial factory floor, but get a surprise visit from Grand Admiral Thrawn. My visit is not an honor, however, but an investigation. Trapped inside the factory, Kanan and Ezra get help from an unlikely ally in order to escape. Make for the east vehicle pool. You'll find a walker there you can escape in. After safely fighting their way out, the rebels learn the data they stole contains blueprints to a mysterious new ship. Looks like some new kind of TIE interceptor. But this one has shields. This week, Ezra and Kanan learned the secret identity of another fulcrum. I sat down with cast and crew to talk about how Lothal has changed since the Rebels were last there, the return of Ryder Azadi, how Callus turned to the Rebellion, and a little more classic Star Wars video game talk. Check it out. In an Inside Man, we return to Lothal for the first time, and it seems like the Empire's gained a larger foothold. What can you tell us about what's been going on here? This is something that's kind of been increasing over the course of the entire galaxy. We're trying to show how things are changing and getting worse everywhere. The oppression of the Empire is getting worse and worse and worse. It's really become a war factory at this point. They've dropped all pretense of being there to help you and the needs of the Imperial War Machine have been amped up. It's just this big factory belching out smoke and producing AT-ATs and TIE Fighters and whatever the Empire needs. We also haven't seen Sumar since his farm was taken away in Season 1. How did he end up in this Imperial facility? Oh, poor Sumar. The Empire has basically made life for everyone there really difficult. You have to make a living, right? So if the only thing you can do is work for the Empire in this factory that they've built, you know, that's kind of what he has to do. Right now, your biggest service to the Empire, if you're not a soldier, is just a cog in the machine, and that's what Sumar is doing. One of the points of inspiration for this was actually taking a look at the dehumanized factory workers in THX 1138. You become a number, you become the faceless, you don't have any individuality, and all that matters is that you're making machines. This is also the first time we've seen Ryder in a while. Has he been leading an underground resistance on the planet? Yeah, he's really trying to build a resistance. When the rebels left, there was really very little. He's been a very busy man. He's the mole for the rebels, if you will, on Lethal, so he's trying to get any information, any intel, just any sort of inkling of what the Empire is up to, you know, whether it be small or huge. It's also becoming clear that the Rebels have an ally in Imperial ranks. What can you tell us about that? No, it's, it's funny. It's like you can't be too obvious with these things, apparently. There's a dramatic irony in it. It's like, did we know people were going to figure out it was callous? Yeah, we kind of figured. But the fan community is such that unless it's super obvious, there's always going to be a point of counterpoint and debate about it. This is something we've been working towards for a few seasons, and that is is showing that, yeah, absolutely there would be people in the Empire who were spies. What's awesome is we've been able to show how a character who you really think is evil is, well, maybe not as evil as you might think. Mm -hmm. And you begin to understand why they would turn. You know, they got into a fight hoping to try to make the galaxy a better place. However, it's not turning out that way. We get to see the inside of an Imperial facility. When designing a factory like that, do you give any thought to how all of it actually works? Yeah, the conveyor belt that the sort of 
of pieces of AT-ATs and TIE Fighters are on, was designed to, if you wanted to have it move, it could move. There was a door or gangway raised on the wall above that moving monorail. It didn't really get to do it in the episode because there was enough happening on the ground level that all of this extra business above would begin to get distracting. The secret TIE Fighter looks a whole lot like the TIE Defender, mm -hmm. which has been around since the old TIE Fighter game. Is that the ship that we see here? Is that the Defender? It is the Defender. We are all itching to get to get the Defender into the show. We really wanted to make Thrawn a tactical leader. In realizing that the Rebels are a growing threat, he's way ahead of the curve as far as planning for where they're gonna end up. When he knows when he has the Defender ready and in mass production, just like Harris says in this episode, if they built this thing, we're in deep trouble. For those of us who remember playing the TIE Fighter game, it's a great ship. It's fast, it's got shields, it's got a hyperdrive. It sort of evens the odds, and you don't need hundreds and hundreds upon them to defeat just a small number of rebel starfighters. It evens the odds between the versatility of an X-Wing fighter and the limited capabilities of a TIE fighter. All right, there we go. Um, so TIE Defender, you know, making its return to Star Wars canon. And uh, this super cool. Very cool. Going back to a classic video game, like they were saying, TIE Fighter came out in the 90s, I believe. Like, yeah, yeah, it was towards the end of the 90s. Yeah. I'm like PC, PC games at home are becoming the thing. Yeah. Buy it purchased on floppy. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, that's probably true. Yeah. Or like early, early CD. Oh man. <laughs> yeah. Um, what's cool about this one is Callus is more prominent as a hero figure as uh, as he's revealed to be Fulcrum. And uh, you know, he's all over the place, man. Like he's you know, he's popping up everywhere. And Thrawn as well, like, you know, it's just like the question must be asked, you know, like how likely is it that they would visit this factory on Lothal um, with all of the other stuff going on. And uh, yeah, that is one thing that this series kind of annoys me about is it always seems very convenient that like Callus or now we're seeing Thrawn as well, always seem to be at the location that yeah. the our rebel heroes are at even across like different planets and like systems. It's just, it makes it feel small. Yeah. But I get they they want that you're gonna have characters that uh, kind of grow together and earn this storyline, but if you think about it as a galaxy as a whole, it's pretty unlikely. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, uh, we saw Morad die. That was uh, kind of a surprise, you know. Man, innocent yeah, farmer no dude just burned to a crisp, blows up on the speeder bike. <laughs> like, yeah, he was just he was just rescued, and then. Yeah. How did he even get into the factory as an employee in the first place? Because he was a prisoner. Yeah. And then I, they escaped. And then the last, last we saw of him until he was working for the Empire. I think maybe he was like kind of doing double dipping. Like maybe he was like, he was Fake working ID for the Empire. Something. I think he was working for the Empire. But then maybe like when he went home, he would actually go to the rebel camp and like, you know, kind of let them know in on the secrets and stuff like that. Like. Oh yeah, he was definitely a like a a planter and informant. Yeah, man, I would have thought that the Empire would have a better system to recognize his face as a escaped convict. Yeah, 
Yeah, uh, yeah, it was uh, kind of a comical death too. I mean, uh, I gotta say, oh, it's unfortunate. even as serious as it was, like I just laughed. It's like when I, it's over here. Shut it down. He doesn't want to get off because that'll blow his cover. But at the same time, if he sits there, he's just gonna die. So he just sits yeah. there, right? But his cover's blowing well, anyway. So it's like, dude. Well, I mean, he was his cover was blowing that it was found out. It's very obvious that like it malfunctioned and it was his fault. But then as he tries to shut it down, Thrawn uses his iPad or his data pad and just like turns it back on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nope. I love how he's like in his last moments, he's like, oh, <laughs> it just blows up. Oh man, I just, I just had a, I just laughed. Yeah, I thought that was so funny. It just came across as so like, I don't know, awkward. You know what I mean? <laughs> Oh man, yeah, and then Ezra and Kanan just have to stand there and like let it happen. Yeah, even Callus is like kind of shocked. He's like, oh, like what? Happened? <laughs> yeah. Um, the ATSD like that the breaks idea, down, the ATSD that breaks down in the factory, man, that broke down so fast. Like it takes one step, and it's like <laughs> boom. It just falls over. It's like all right, clearly the rebel guy who like the rebel saboteur, if you will. Like did an awful job at like yeah. masking masking the fact that like these are sabotage, right? Yeah, like it doesn't make any sense because they no. wouldn't even get it out of the facility to get it somewhere for it to fail. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> like it makes no sense that that would be so instant of a of an effect, right? Yeah, the speeder bikes were definitely better because you have to get over a certain speed, so that that makes more sense to me. Yeah. But yeah, the ATST, whoever whoever made that decision, that was a bad call. Yeah, that was a bad call. <laughs> um, all the guys like, well, Thrawn's like, did did you did you look over the, the construction of this ATST? He's like, yep, sure did. And then just crashes. Like, oh no, it's the other one. Yes, yeah, it's, it's the next door one. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. There was there was something funny that also was said when they were standing around the campfire at the rebel base. You know, one of them, I think it was, I think it was Sumas, uh, more at Sumas. Like he, he was, um, uh, or Sumar, sorry, not Sumas. Uh, you know, he's like, oh, yeah, there's this new guy that showed up. He's got like red eyes or something. And all I could think of was just like, yeah, like, <laughs> like I don't know. For some reason, I could just picture him following that up with like, he seems a little like loopy all the time. Was it really relaxed, you know, just kind of chill uh the guy uh, really like to have a beer with bit of an earthy scent that comes off of him he's got the red eyes yeah <laughs> thrawn uh thrawn just uh the, this high imperial uh high ranking yeah. <laughs> that's true uh yeah seeing fulcrum reveals expected but also a welcome sight story to unravel and um yeah, that do was cool. It, do you think it should have been more of a surprise instead nah. of us kind of getting it from the Sabine episode? Oh, you mean like slowly, kind of surely being revealed hint by hint? Yeah, I, yeah. I think like there could have been something cool that came out of a, mo- a movement like that. But then at the same time, I think we might hear be criticizing like, uh, oh, that came out of nowhere. Like, where the heck did right. that come from? So you know, I think like. Hux. Yeah, they play they played it in a way that like makes us kind of know early on, but at the same time, like for maybe a younger viewer, again, which what this show is designed for, um, maybe that's all they needed to kind of keep it a hint, hint, but not kind of directly in your face sort of thing. Um, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, 
for the kids. Slow, so just yeah, like you say, so it doesn't just feel like it's completely out of nowhere. I mean, it wouldn't be completely out of nowhere just because of the episode we have with Zeb on the planet. Yeah, but yeah, I can see what you're saying. Yeah, and yeah. like slowly leading into it a bit more. There was something really. What I was surprised by. Sorry. Oh, yeah, oh, go go ahead. Go ahead. What I was surprised by is at the end when Thrawn is like, we have a mole, and then like trying to figure out who it is, that he, I feel like Thrawn probably should have figured it out like right away. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe yeah. Just because Kalos' ISB, it feels very unlikely, because that's supposed to be the people who actually seek out the moles. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, yeah, it, it's, yeah, it is interesting, isn't it? I don't know. I guess, I, I mean, like, I guess we'll see how he kind of unravels it later. Maybe, maybe Thrawn knows and he just wants to see it play out or something, right? Like, I, I kind of forget. Maybe that too. I kind of forget. Uh, I think, I think he, if, if I remember correctly, he, the only people he trusts are Callus and that woman that's there, and everyone right. else is potentially the mole. I think right. is what happens until. Something obvious reveals it, I think. I can't remember. We'll find out once we watch farther into the season. Yeah. Yeah, we will. Uh, I got a really funny like little audio snippet here. Let's take a look, quick listen. Yeah, but I was going to do it. Oh, <laughs> I love how, like, you know, they want to make it look like, here, I'll play it again. Hold on. Move if you want to make it out. We will. And thanks. Make for the east vehicle pool. You'll find a walker there you can escape in. Now, I just have to make this look convincing. Okay. Ezra! What? That is convincing. Yeah, but I was gonna do it. Well, if he's one of us now. <laughs> I just thought, like, man, like, Ezra and Kanan, like, they're, they're just, they're just such an unlikely kind of, like, duo, you know what I mean? Like, Oh, for sure. They sound like they're arguing like two kids on the playground. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like you almost expect Kanan to like scold Ezra for just like you know force pushing him back through a bunch of glass and you know like that's knocking cool. him out. But that's what would happen because let's be honest, Anakin would would have done that. Oh, hundred percent. Obi Wan would have scolded him. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, it would have been something like that. But then you know, it's like no, but I was gonna do it. <laughs> 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 they just really don't like that guy. Uh, that's pretty fun. Yeah, yeah, that was a good good scene. I like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah that was good. Uh, the so, tie. Uh, yeah, so, oh, sorry. Go go. Um, I was just gonna say the tie defenders revealed here as uh, Thrawn's secret weapon against the rebellion. This is something that he has pushed a lot of um, you know power towards, um, rather than any other project like the Death Star or or whatever. And I think if I have... I he knows about the Death Star. Well, vague memory serves me, if, if any. Um, he's aware of that project, and I believe he doesn't favorably think of such destructive you know, weapons as anything special. Like, apparently, he's like, doesn't really... You know, to him, he's a, he's a tactician, right? So... He doesn't exactly, uh, you know, he he's a he's a tacti- he's a tactical guy. He doesn't exactly favor who's got the bigger gun around here, right? Like that's a very different way of thinking and how how to fight a battle. Right. So so his way of doing it is much more surgical, and his approach to the rebellion is a lot more uh, sort of 
strategy infused. And he thinks, you know, if we have better, better fighters, because, you know, they're, they're tie fighters are fast, but they're, they kind of suck. You know, if we have better fighters, like maybe we can actually do some damage in the rebellion without needing to do a lot as far as resources goes, you know, and now, now anywhere they go, they're going to be up against quite the fight. Right. So one thing that with the tie defender, I, I just find a little weird is why did it come to come all the way down to Thrawn and have to come up with this idea? Cause it just seems so simple. Just make better ships. Yeah. I don't know. Do you do you remember do you remember in the Thrawn books the new ones like in the canon like whether or not the Tie Defender came up in those because I have a vague memory that they were part of. I'm sure. I'm sure it does. Uh, I I didn't actually finish that series because it just felt like it was dragging on a lot. I I I have an issue with a number of the uh, the new canon books because of that. I think it's because their hands are so tied, but everything being done simultaneously, you have to make sure it's not going to step on a else's toes right so i only ever read the first two i think but now there's a there's a lot there's five or there's uh there's six there's uh there's a trilogy that takes place kind of uh overlapping the star wars rebels time frame and then uh there's one trilogy that takes place as like a prequel sort of thrawn trilogy which is i think overlapping the prequels a little bit and then kind of then some and it's That's mostly when Pal- Palpatine uh, finds them basically. Yeah, them it's like the Chiss ascendancy sort of you know rise to power of Thrawn within the Chiss ascendancy, and then kind of his initial sort of uh, meetings. I think with with Palpatine, you know, early on in his imperial career, something like that. Right. So I need to read those two because, mm. like, I I am pretty far behind Eesh. with the yeah. Well, we both are, and I'm sure that's going to become more and more relevant as Thrawn becomes a bigger character. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Um, the the Tide Defenders in this, I think is the first or the second book, I think it's the second book, um, he does use his Tide Defenders against the Grisks, which were uh, an alien species drawn up for the second novel, which were supposed to, um, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, supposed to kind of emulate the idea of the Yuzan Vong, like an alien species invasive to mm-hmm. the, the, the known space that were from a different galaxy. And uh, it's funny how EU slowly becomes canon again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So they, the, the, the Tide Defenders did show up in the second Thrawn book. And uh, the second Thrawn book, I think, is set between the third and the fourth seasons of Star Wars Rebels. So... If that gives you an idea for time frame, you know, the, the, the TIE Defenders, they're currently being produced somewhere. Uh, the Rebels are only just finding out about it, and it won't be long until they're put to good use. So, yeah. Very interesting. Um, I, I wanted to point out that in, in one of the... In, in, actually, both times I think we really see Thrawn in this episode, we see a bunch of artwork around him, mm-hmm. and there's a there's some cool Mandalorian art from supposed to be like ancient Mandalore. Um, if anyone wants to look it up, it's actually at the time code uh, 15 minutes and 53 seconds. I think is roughly the, the best shot of it for anyone standing in front. And it reminded me a lot of the old EU Mandalorian comics. Mm. And I, I think it, like, it looks like, so if you remember like the Mandalore who 
created the dark saber it was like the jedi yeah it looks a lot like that kind of like the artwork around that character very medieval you know wearing the ponchos and got the sword out and the helmet's yeah. very sort of simple shaped simply shaped i guess no, and then uh, the artwork of the people around him are just it's so bizarre looking yes. yeah it's very dark ages looking yeah it's it's got some of that but it's got that weird look where it's like you're looking at the side of someone's face but you see both of their eyes like almost like picasso right yeah it is cool it is cool how you know they managed to come up with sort of that type of art style within star wars rebels you know to use as art right uh yeah i think this is supposed to be like ancient mandalorian art i think so Uh, i think so yeah yeah, it, it, is, it is neat. Yeah, it is neat to see. And, and uh, you know, once again, just these animated shows really driving it home with expanding upon that lore of, of Mandalore. Now we've got so much lore, you know, for Mandalore. Uh, it's crazy how, how quickly it's grown. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, they've done a really good job, like, filling out the Mandalorian culture. It's, it's interesting how it started to just some guy with cool, cool armor who was just a bounty hunter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that was like this whole planet with like this deep culture of of like basically space Vikings. Oh, that's exactly. I mean, I mean, uh, when we were talking to Jess from Boba Fett fan club, which you know at some point we'll we'll get her back on again. Um, but yeah, she uh, she was saying that you know you know how how Boba's like you know the he's the OG guy. He's the reason why they even have all that fan club in the first place because it celebrates oh, him yeah. as a character but also really celebrates him as an origin point for sort of what's grown beyond him, you know, including the, now there's an entire costume group called the Mandalorian Mercs that are dedicated to, you know, wearing Mandalorian armor and, you know, making it their own thing. And, you know, they're basically the 501st of the, of the Mandalore sort of costuming group. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's so cool, like to see just how much has come out of one single character and his background. No, so true. And one thing I always liked about the Mercs is you get to design your own look, unlike being like a stormtrooper of 501st, right? And like that right. look is established. Yeah, it could be like super makeshift. It can be, you know, like kind of kind of whatever. I think the helmet needs to be of a certain caliber, but like beyond that, I think like it's pretty much like anyone's game. <laughs> well, I think I think we're kind of learning that even within the helmet, there's a lot of wiggle room. So as long as, it, you know, as long as you look at it and you're like, oh, he's a Mandalorian, then I think you get the pass. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Well, um, that is that is it for that episode. Should we give some Pablo points or Pudus? Let's do it. All right. Um, this one, I'm going to give it 0.5 Pablo points. You know, it was it was OK. Um, I feel like there were some things that could have been a little different. But for the most part, you know, I enjoyed it. It just wasn't a standout for me. It wasn't great. Um, you know, scraping by is good. Fair enough. I actually like this episode quite a bit. I would say just especially to me, the coolest part uh, beyond what we talked about is just seeing how the rebellion is like, is kind of like really down in the trenches, like trying to sabotage a lot of the, the empire and the, uh, right down to the, the manufacturing level to try to just give themselves an edge. Just, to me, that was probably one of the really like the coolest parts yeah seeing like these yeah. these saboteur 
kind of angles from rebellion because really when you watch the films all you get is like they're like a a guerrilla force army but really they have insurgents kind of everywhere and it really just goes to show the rebellion was a, a lot more thorough than we were led to believe yeah that's a good so, point it's a good point for so sure I'll, I'll give it a one and a half i think one and a half all right sweet awesome all right cool sir well uh thank you for for, for coming back on as as always and uh we'll catch you in the next one we'll see you out there keep flying all right and thank you all for tuning in at home we'd love a nice fresh five-star review if you can slap one of those down on spotify or apple podcast that really does help us out a lot it helps other people find the podcast and it helps us uh helps us succeed you know because you know we do this to obviously chat star wars but we do love to see these uh these podcasts growing in number as far as downloads goes and uh you know if you're sharing this podcast to your friends and stuff that really uh really does a lot and uh you know just makes us happy so <laughs> uh leave us a nice review if you can and uh, that would be fantastic uh, next up we do have a few more episodes of rebels talk before we hit ahsoka but we're going to try and get as many out before the premiere uh the two episode premiere mind you of ahsoka which comes out in uh another two and a half weeks so uh that being said you can reach us out find more updates from the podcast at our socials below in the description using the handle at SWScape podcast join the discord subscribe on youtube and we will see you in the next episode of star wars escape pod may the force be with you